So it's Matthew chapter 1, beginning of the New Testament, in your Bibles if you want to follow. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan. Mathan, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, for, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, be to, to God. God. And a big round of applause. <laughs> Thank you, Linda, very much. Brilliantly done. Uh, let's pray that God will come and speak to us through a reading that we may not usually read, but we sometimes skip over. Lord God, your word has life, and all scripture is inspired by God. As we look at Jesus' genealogy and what Matthew's saying through it, we pray that you will come and speak now to us. Wherever we are, as part of your family or finding our way towards it, speak to us, we pray, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I love that program on television, Who Do You Think You Are? don't get to watch it very often, but the genealogy one, where they take someone famous, uh, usually a celebrity, and go back through the generations and find various crooks or villains in the past. 
There are other celebrity programs I'm less a fan of, though I'm usually required to have uh, the jungle on or something and, and watch the, what celebrities are doing there. But I really quite like the one, the, the genealogy, who do you think you are? There are some wonderful surprises, some heroic individuals that get discovered and some terrible villains and crooks. And perhaps most famously, uh, when Danny Dyer, the EastEnders actor, discovered that he was a direct descendant of King Edward III and now proclaims himself as royalty. That, that was a great moment when that came out and no one saw it coming. In our own family history, I wasn't particularly interested in who had gone before until our firstborn, Thomas, was born. And as we saw the generation going on, I started looking back more. When we moved to Hinkley, my uncle wrote to me and said, oh, you're going back to your roots. And I said, really? How come? And he sent me these genealogies of the G family along the A5 between Nuneaton and Hinkley in Nuneaton and Caldicott and farms along there. We had no idea, and we went and searched out the G graves and started looking back. Uh, as we researched further into it, we discovered that there had been a Reverend Thomas G. 200 years ago, who was the vicar of Thaxted. There's now another Reverend Thomas G. who was a curate just up the road from Thaxted. And then we found that there was someone on my mum's side, Conrad Knoll, the Reverend Conrad Knoll, who was also vicar of Thaxted uh, about 100 years ago, known as the Red or Communist Vicar of Thaxted. So quite a character. So we found in our genealogy... From both sides, from one from my dad's, one from my mum's, there were two vicars who'd been vicar of the same parish just up the road where Thomas is. It's interesting what you find. You didn't come to church to find out about my family tree, though. That's not why you're here. But it is interesting, and so is yours. Uh, th there are some extraordinary characters as we look back, and I'm sure we'll find out some more things uh, about ours. Now, in Jesus' day, the genealogy was not just out of interest. This was a statement of who you are. Some traditional cultures, some place of Africa or Maoris, the, your, your genealogy is far more important than your CV. It's who you are. It's where you've come from. Uh, and Matthew, by starting off his gospel with a genealogy, is not deliberately trying to be boring so people don't read the rest of it, which is what we would think if someone wrote that today. He is setting out a bit of a drum roll as to who Jesus is. Imagine a great procession, if you will, uh, with names that are familiar coming past. Some of you might imagine great processions in a cathedral with the bishop at the back. Others of you might prefer to imagine uh, the Disney Aladdin procession with Prince Ali after all the monkeys and the elephants coming at the back. Well, anyway, it's all pointing to the one who is coming. And Matthew is writing a bit of a drum roll, saying, look, this is all pointing to Jesus. The way Matthew set this up is in three blocks of 14. I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, focusing on Abraham, focusing on David, focusing on Jesus. So verse 1, Matthew 1, 1. Uh, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And in verse 17, at the end of the genealogy, we get there were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, 14 to Jesus. Now, Matthew is making a deliberate point. To the Jews, numbers had a significance. Seven is the perfect heavenly number. 14 is doubly perfect. Three 14s is super-duper perfect. Uh, he is making the point that Jesus is the fulfillment of all God's promises down the years. He's doing it in a fairly stylized way. The word father of can just mean ancestor of, and it looks like Matthew's missed out a couple just to get his three fourteens to make his point that Jesus is the fulfillment of the ages. 
He is the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham, whose family would be blessed and through them the whole world would be blessed. He is the fulfillment of God's promises to King David, the great king, the man who had a heart after the Lord, even though he did terrible things. When he did, he repented and God loved his heart, even if he didn't love everything he did. And Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the one we've been thinking of. And that's one of the big points Matthew's making. Uh, what I want to do this morning is to focus on some of the surprising characters that you find in here. I'm not going to go through all 42 of them uh, for various reasons. One is I don't know anything about quite a lot of them. And the other is if I went through everyone, we'd be here till lunchtime. I'm going to focus on the five I think are the most surprising in here. Because think back 2,000 years to the time when men had status and women didn't. Men were educated, women weren't. Men's opinion and witness counted in a court of law, women's didn't. And Jesus came to bring women the dignity that they should have had from the beginning. We're made in Genesis 1, male and female, equal before God. And in this genealogy, you have five women. Everyone is a surprise. To have any women in the genealogy would have been a shock uh, in a society which just thought the men counted. But Jesus' genealogy highlights some of the women in there. And it points us to the fact that, as far as Jesus is concerned, men and women are equally important, of equal status. Uh, but when we look at who the women are, there's some rather more surprises. Now, we could look at who all the men are. There's some baddies among the men and some goodies as well. J. John does a reading of this at Christmas where he has cue cards with each name. And after each name is read, someone puts up boo or hiss or cheer or hooray. And it's a bit like pantomime because there are some tremendous good people in here. King Jehoshaphat, for example. There's some tremendously bad kings in here like Manasseh. And yet God's grace is there to all. But we're not going to go through all of those, though we could. We're going to focus on the five women and see what we can learn through them. Uh, so here's the first one in verse 3. Uh, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar or Tamar. So let's get Judah in place. You have Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. He had the 12 sons. That's Joseph and his brothers. Uh, but here the genealogy writes Judah and his brothers because Jesus' line comes through Judah. Indeed, Judah is the ancestor of all the Jewish people. Uh, they look back to Judah. So Judah had three sons before he had Perez and Zerar through Tamar. Tamar was his daughter-in-law. Uh, his first son died, so he married Tamar to his second son. His second son died... And he promised Tamar to his third son, who was just a boy at that stage. And Tamar waited until the boy grew up, and it became clear that Jacob was not going to marry her to the third son. So she did something rather scandalous. I don't know if you like reading the Red Top newspapers, but this story in Genesis 38 is right out of the Red Tops. She found out her father-in-law was going sheep shearing in another part of the country, and she dressed up as as it were, as a shrine prostitute along the way, and lured her father-in-law to bed with her. He said he would give her a goat. She said, what is your promise for this? Uh, and she asked for his signet ring and his staff. Uh, 
So Judah slept with what he thought was this shrine prostitute on the way to where he was going. And he said to, when he got home, he sent a goat to his friend, say, would you give the goat to the shrine prostitute? And the, his friend said, there isn't one there. There never has been, and there isn't one now. And Judah thought, oh, well, whoever she was, not to worry. Three months later, Tamar is found to be pregnant, and she is brought out to be stoned. And she said, I'm pregnant by the man whose ring and staff this is, which was Judah. And he says, she is more righteous than I am. Set her free. And she becomes the mother of Perez and Zerah. What a scandal. And it's right there in Jesus' genealogy. Not just the fact that there are women at all, which is a wonderful thing. But my goodness, the first one, that's a shock. Let's have a look at the second one, verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, if you know your Old Testament stories, you know that Rahab was the prostitute of Jericho. So Moses is dead. Joshua is leading the people across the Jordan. Then they have to take Jericho. He sends out the spies. They go to Jericho, and they are taken in. They hide in Rahab's house. Presumably, it wouldn't have been a surprise to see different men coming and going from Rahab's house. So they, they go there. And Rahab says that the fear of God has come on all the people. And she says to the spies, when you capture Jericho, please have mercy on me and my family. So the spies assure her that they will. She hides them at great personal risk. She lets them down from the city wall. Her house is on the city wall. And they give her this red cord to tie in the window out of the city wall. I remember thinking Rahab lived in the Red Cord district of Jericho, as it were. Uh, then the, the army comes, besieges Jericho, walk round it, and they see whereabouts in the city wall this Red Cord is. And when the walls come down, they rescue Rahab and her family, and she becomes part of the people of Israel. Not only that, but she is the mother of Boaz, the father of Obed, uh, the father of Jesse, the father of King David. She is King David's great-great-grandmother. How amazing. Second shock. Third surprise is here. No, back in verse 5. If we keep going back, but well done. We'll get there in a bit. Uh, third surprise is the third woman, uh, Ruth. Now, Ruth is, is not. Ruth is of godly character, and there is no scandal attached to her character. The scandal for Ruth is where she comes from. She is not from Israel. She is from Moab, and the Moabites are seen to be the enemies of the people of Israel. They wouldn't let Moses and the people come through. Uh, the Moabites get a terrible press in Scripture, and God's judgment on Moab is severe. What happened was a Jewish man, during a time of famine, went looking for food, wound up in Moab, married a Moabite woman, had two sons. The sons had married Moabite women as well. Tragically, the dad and the sons both died, leaving Naomi the mum and her daughters-in-law. And Naomi decides she's going home, back to Israel. Her daughters-in-law start going with her. She says, turn round. You don't need to come with me. I'm an old woman. Uh, I can't help you. Uh, go back. And one goes back, but Ruth stays with her. This beautiful story in the Bible, your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. And Ruth goes with Naomi. And Ruth... Uh, marries Boaz. Lovely story in the Bible. But what a scandal that in Jesus' genealogy is a Gentile woman, Ruth. That is a scandal. 
although of godly character. Uh, what about the fourth one? Let's go on to verse 6 now. So Obed's the father of Jesse. Jesse's the father of King David. King David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, that is Bathsheba. Oh my goodness, more scandal. Do you know the story? So King David, the great king, is now no longer a young man. He sends the army off to fight, and he stays at home. And he's walking around on the roof of his palace in Jerusalem in the cool of the evening, no doubt with his gin and tonic, just thinking how nice life is. And he sees Bathsheba bathing, a beautiful woman, and he summons her. She has dinner with him. She goes to bed with him. She becomes pregnant by him. And then she sends a message saying, I'm pregnant. And David thinks, oh, how, what are we going to do about this? So he sends for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, who's away with the army. He brings him home and he asks him about how it's all going. And then he gives him gifts to go back home and to go back to your wife and spend the night with your wife uh, as a cover-up. And Uriah won't do it. He says, the soldiers are out fighting and sleeping in the field. I will sleep with the servants. So David has another go. The next day, he gets Uriah drunk and says, now go home. And Uriah won't. So David thinks, I've got to kill this man somehow if I can't, if I can't get him to look like he's the father. So he writes instructions to General Joab saying, press against the city, even if you have to take great risks, and put Uriah in the front line. And Uriah takes this sealed death warrant, essentially, gives it to the general who puts Uriah in the front of the fighting in a dangerous position, and he's killed. And then David looks like he does the magnanimous thing and takes Uriah's wife to be his wife. Uh, with total understatement, the scripture says the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Adultery and murder. And the prophet Nathan comes to David and tells a story that gets David really furious. And then he says, you are the man. And instead of killing Nathan, David repents and confesses. It's beautiful Psalm 51 that we've all used in confession. And he is forgiven and restored by the Lord. In fact, his epitaph is that he was a man after God's heart, though he did this terrible thing. When he was convicted, he repented and put the Lord first. Tragically, the baby died, but Bathsheba had another baby who became Solomon, who became the king after David. What a scandal. What about the fifth woman in the story? Well, she was utterly wonderful, but the scandal attached to her we all know very well. This is Mary in verse 16. Normally you would expect it to say, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the father of Jesus, but it doesn't say that because people knew that Joseph was not Jesus' natural father. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary was the mother of Jesus who's called the Messiah. Mary, this probably teenage girl, engaged to Joseph but not yet married. And the angel comes to her and says, you're greatly favored, you're going to be pregnant. She says, how? I'm a virgin. We'll hear the story a few times over the next few weeks. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The one to be born in you will be Jesus. He will be great. He will have the throne of his father, David. Now, whenever I find the Lord asking me to do something difficult, and he's never asked me to do anything approaching what he asked Mary in difficulty, I wrestle with it. 
And until we get to the point where you can say with Mary, I am the Lord's servant, let it be to, be, be to me according to your will. Mary's just straight there. She is an unmarried girl. She's going to be pregnant. And there is tremendous scandal. It's known that Joseph is not the father. Uh, in Jesus' ministry, they say, we don't even know where you've come from. We don't know who your father is. It was probably known at school that he was a bastard. He was probably called that. Mary goes off to spend time with Elizabeth, her cousin, for many months. Why? Probably it was too uncomfortable being at home. Mary goes with Joseph to Bethlehem. Why? The women didn't need to go. It was only Joseph. Being at home was too much of a risk because of the scandal. And in Jesus' day, and in the day of the New Testament, it was known that Joseph was not the father. Now, we know that she was pure and wonderful and honorable. But what a scandal. And Jesus is proud to have all these five women in his genealogy, as well as the men, the wonderful ones and the terrible ones. This is Jesus' family. And it is an expression of grace that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It doesn't mean matter whether you've been relatively good or whether you've been relatively bad. What matters is that we are forgiven. Next week, we'll come on to the second half of Matthew 1, which we know a bit better. Just a, a highlight in advance. Verse 21 of Matthew 1 says, She will give birth to a son, and you'll give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God saves. And Jesus had come to set us free from our sin. All of us have sin. Paul puts it this way in Romans, Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some fall short by some way, some by a huge way. But none of us deserves to be forgiven. None of us deserves to be in God's family. It's because we're forgiven. It's grace. It's a gift. Paul goes on to say in Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. If nothing's done, we're all cut off from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Jesus' genealogy is a fantastic demonstration of this. Tamar, who seduced her father-in-law. Rahab, the prostitute of Jericho. Ruth from Moab. Bathsheba, who David abused and then had her husband killed. Mary, the unmarried teenage mother of Jesus. And all the men in there, some terrible men, probably none as bad as Manasseh, who repented and was included in God's eternal family at the end of his life, as well as the good ones. What this says to me is it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus' death on the cross covers all our sins. Now, I meet regularly people who say, ah, oh, but I, I'm not sure I'm forgiven. What I've done is too bad. No, it isn't. Look at who was in Jesus' genealogy. It is all forgiven. It's grace. And whatever you've done is covered by the blood of Jesus. He came for you as much as for Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, as much for all these others as for Abraham and David and any of us. We can all be part of God's amazing family. Let me finish with one more Bible reference. Mark's Gospel, chapter 3, 31 to 34. Jesus is speaking about his family. Uh, Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. 
A crowd was sitting round him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, what an honor to be Mary, Jesus' mother. What an honor to be his brothers and sisters. And after the resurrection, he appeared to them, and they joined uh, the Christian family. But Jesus says to any of us that are seeking to follow him, that are sitting, listening to his word, looking to put it into practice to follow him, you are my mother, my brothers, my sisters. We are included in God's great family. And our failures, our weaknesses, our deliberate sin are not a block to God's great purposes. He is building his family. And you can be part of it just as much as I can. All of us have things we're ashamed of in our past. And all of them, as we come to Jesus, are washed away. That's what the water of baptism signifies. There is a washing clean. Now, I knew I wanted to preach this, and I was struggling to actually sharpen it for what the precise point was. Uh, and then this morning, in the prayer time before the service, uh, you will know that we gather uh, before the service, and we ask the Lord if there's any prophetic words uh, uh, and sometimes there are and sometimes there aren't. This morning before the first service, one of the ladies there, who had no idea what the passage of Scripture was, she hadn't looked in advance, and she didn't know what I was preaching on, just wrote this down from the Lord. The family Jesus came from anticipates the family he has come for. He knows us, he loves us, he came to save us. He knows our past, he knows our future. There was nothing too bad that he cannot redeem. You are precious in his sight. And as she read that out, I said, have you read what I'm preaching on? No. Do you know my sermon? I said, that's it. I've been looking for the thing to finish on. And here it is. The genealogy of Jesus, the family Jesus came from, anticipates the family he's come for. That's us. None of us is perfect. We're all included. And it's all grace. Let's stand and we'll pray together.